We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Aikman is intercepted by Sam Mills. Steve Smith is going to go all the way. Panthers win in overtime. Newton steps up, goes for the end zone. Touchdown by Moore. And in the foot race, McCaffrey to the end zone. He pounded on three. One, two, three. He Welcome back to another episode of The Roar, brought to you by Blue Air. I'm your host, Billy Marshall. As always, joined by my co-host, John Ellis. John, what's up, man? Hey, Billy. What's happening, man? It's been a minute. Uh, good to be back with you. As we yes. get to Thanksgiving season, man, let's talk some Panthers. It's been a couple weeks since our last episode. Um, you know, The short week had something to do with it, and uh, I think our plans just weren't aligned uh, to get a podcast out by then, but uh, we are back right before the Thanksgiving holiday, and uh, we'll break down the past two weeks and where this team goes uh, this week as they look to face the Denver Broncos at home. Uh, but first things first, um, yeah, our last episode, it was after the debacle in Cincinnati. And both of us, uh, you know, we both made it a point that it, it was kind of not necessarily a blessing in disguise, but it was a good opportunity for them to rebound in four days, short week against a division opponent. Uh, and I thought they did that against the Falcons. Uh, very impressive effort defensively. Um, and even last week, I thought the defense played well against Lamar Jackson. Uh, but I, I think that in each case, uh, their performances, well, we can praise them. I, I also think the elements played a factor in each of those games, uh, especially the one uh, Thursday night when it was a, a decent amount of rain. And last week, um, it was windy all over the East Coast, uh, particularly. It wasn't the only game like this. You saw the game in New England as well. Uh, it was very windy. It was a similar type of score, 3-3 until the fourth quarter, and this one was a 13-3. So, uh, again, I don't want to make any type of defense mechanism or kind of make excuses, but that was just the reality of the situation. Um, but, yeah, overall, they finished with a plus zero uh, point differential over the last two games, winning a 10-point game against the Falcons at home and um, 
you know, losing to the Ravens by 10. So interesting uh, games. We'll get kind of, I don't know if you want to break down each of them in, individually, but uh, overall, I, I think just my own personal opinion, um, you know, the game plan offensively, it was fine against Atlanta due to the elements. Uh, I was a little surprised they decided to drop back as much as they did against the Ravens, but at the same time, uh, Baltimore's run defense is extremely stout, So, and they were not giving up any inches uh, in the run game, especially since they acquired Roquan Smith. They seem to have much better uh, presence up front. Um, but, yeah, I don't know, John. It's uh, kind of – I expected them to rebound against the Falcons. I also expect them to play hard, uh, but they just don't have the class of – they're not in the same tier as the Ravens as a football team. So I don't know. I feel like both of those results were kind of sort of expected. Uh, you know, I appreciate the fight that they showed, but ultimately they just, they don't have the coaching staff and the personnel that Baltimore does. No, it, it's, you know, you, you encapsulated it all pretty well there. I mean, let's start with what happened uh, on Thursday night. I'll just give you a quick summary of my thoughts. Again, you, you have to play to the elements. You have to play to your opponent. And I was I was satisfied with that game in that they were physical. They pushed that defense around up front. It was clear that they overmatched them. Um, you know, Kwanu, he, he's he's been having a good year now, but he struggled with penalties in that game. Um, other than that, I thought the line as a collective did a good job. PJ, you know, did what they asked him to do. Uh, you only asked him to pass 16 times. It's, you know, like old Jake DeLone numbers in the latter years. Like, it's okay. You know, hey, that'll work if you're going to run the ball 47 times and you're going to do it at a 4.9-yard clip. Keep doing it. It makes sense. I'm good with that. I think they, they caught a bit of a break in that game with the weather. I think it was odd that, like, Arthur Smith, I don't think that was his best game. Philly, I, I think there were some things offensively that were a little off. Mariota certainly was off. Uh, Patterson wasn't a big factor in that game. I thought they could have highlighted him more, maybe on offense. But, you know, you've got London, you've got Pitts. And credit to, you know, Carolina, they did a pretty good job neutralizing Kyle Pitts in that game. And then, you know, they, they go from there, which was, you know, a, a big win. And I, I put the playoffs aside, Billy. It was a fun little tease for a couple of weeks, but we understand where this team is right now. They're, they're, they're second in the draft order. So you know, when that happens, you're not a very good team. And you, you go into that game against Baltimore sort of understanding, and I'm very much like you, the, these two games played out kind of like I thought they would for the most part. Baltimore's run defense has been just like second to none lately. And it was, you know, a wake-up call, I think, for a lot of fans that, hey, it's been fun with Dante Foreman. He's been a fun running back to watch. This offensive line has been, you know, getting their flowers, and, and that's fine. But, you know, they got pushed around a little bit in that game. Um, what strikes me also, it, it continues to just – and I, I'd love to get your thoughts on this – that there, there couldn't be a worse marriage than Baker Mayfield and this offensive coordinator. Like, it just – and I'm not putting this on McAdoo entirely. Mayfield's got to be accountable as a veteran, but it's just a bad combo. I mean, you're looking for an RPO, quick release, efficiency type of quarterback, and Mayfield is just all over the map back there in the pocket. Now, granted, some of those pockets weren't very clean, um, but to me, it's just it was over before it started in that game. I know they hung tough, and I give you know Wilkes a lot of credit for taking that team in there. The elements were a factor. It looks like Lamar was limping around a little bit too. So, I mean, he wasn't his usual self. 
Um, it's a tough game to really sell out in the pass rush game against Lamar. You got to kind of, you know, keep him in the well, keep him in the net, as they say. And I think they did a pretty decent job of that overall. But, you know, I mean, a couple of guys that stand out to me that just had poor performances. Number one is Mayfield. I think McAdoo could have done a little more there, but what are you working with really a quarterback? So it's just kind of a bad fit between the two of those guys. And then on defense, I'm not trying to pick on a guy, but CJ Henderson, even the coach called him out. I mean, he's just not really evolving as you would hope he would. I think it was, uh, was it Demarcus Robinson who had the big game on the perimeter there? And again, I've looked at some of the tape on defense, mostly offense right now. But that's what stood out at first glance. The, the conditions were bad. Pinero played fine. Pinero had a couple of good weeks. Give him credit for bouncing back against what, you know, that was a terrible performance in Atlanta late. But overall, you know, as you mentioned, a net total of zero points. <laughs> so it's kind of where this team is right now, a net zero team. Um, one good win at home. Um, and then you go on the road and, and you play a Baltimore team tough for three and a half quarters. And it gets away at the end. And it was pretty predictable how that was going to go. So it's unfortunate, but Mayfield certainly is not the answer for what this franchise needs. I don't think McAdoo is either. And I'm, I'm growing increasingly skeptical that they've got their next head coach. As much as I like Steve Wilkes, I just think they're going to play this thing out. And uh, I, I suppose at some point we'll talk about another change at quarterback, Billy, because that's breaking news right now. <clears throat> yeah. Um I'm not trying to make excuses for Mayfield. Uh, I mean, I'll let other people do that. I do think that, um, you know, he was not helped by the game plan. I was just surprised why they were dropping back so much. I agree. You, you know, you implemented this very run-heavy style uh, in his absence. Uh, since PJ Walker's taken over, uh, you've decided to be, you know, really rely on the run game, which... It's your prerogative. It's worked for the most part, um, but I wasn't. I was just a little curious about why they decided to just drop back, especially a quarterback like Mayfield, who isn't a an efficient uh, drop back passer over twenty five right. times. Um, and, and so for me, I think the biggest thing is that uh, you saw a lot of the issues with the offensive line and pass protection show its head. And you know, as much as you know, you and I, we've been praising. Iquanu's progress um, but this was not a good game for him and I think a lot of it has to do with uh, you know Baltimore is always going to be a tough team but with all due respect to Baltimore's defense and it's a very good defense I don't necessarily think they have you know the best edge rushers in the NFL I think Owe a guy I think very highly of has promised to be that JPP is like I mean yeah, I don't want to say he's washed but he's like on the back end of his career I don't think he's the same guy that he was like in New York or Tampa. So to me, I think that the reason Iquanu struggled is not necessarily Iquanu's fault. It's just the player he is right now. And so yeah. I think they did a pretty good job of limiting uh, the amount of dropbacks uh, in the previous month or so, which we don't necessarily, um, we didn't necessarily see him be exposed you know, so many times to, you know, 30 plus uh, pass sets. And so that kind of reared its head and it wasn't just him. Um, you know, I thought a lot of the offensive line, uh, they didn't have their best games. And I think it's expected, especially the interior guys, Calais Campbell's really good. Uh, and, you know, Baltimore likes to do a lot of, you know, twists and blitzes. Uh, they like to really switch things up. It's similar to, 
what they went through uh, in week two against the Giants. Um, and just one thing I've noticed is like as much as we praise Deontay Foreman, I think he's a very physical runner. Um, I'm just surprised how poor he is in pass protection. Um, and it's nothing to do with like him identifying blitzes because I think he does do that. It's just to me, I mean, for a guy that's built pretty well, you know, he's a strong lower half. Um, again, he's pretty strong. He just uh, doesn't really, you know, just when he makes contact, he just gets blown up and it, it's not pretty. And I, I would argue a lot of their issues right now with the um, pass protection, it, it's a result of the offensive line, or excuse me, the running backs and pass pro and j- just some communication issues among the guys because I mean, it's tough for the offensive line too because you're rotating quarterbacks in and out. They don't have the same chemistry that they would with whether it's PJ Baker or now it's going to be Darnold. So let's see how that goes. But, um, but no, I'm not surprised that they had to make a switch because uh, we also know that there's conditions on the draft pick. Uh, they they would send to Cleveland. I think fifty yep. percent of snaps. So, yep. um, I mean, you went into Baltimore. Hoping for a spark with Mayfield due to Walker's injury, and you didn't see it. Um, but to me, I also think there are a few guys who did not play well. I think one of the interceptions, uh, Shai Smith ran a very poor route, like very poor route, and obviously he fumbled too. Yeah, he had a bad day. He he's been struggling. Um, yep. and so I, I'm just very curious to see where how he responds. But um, you know, Terrace Marshall the past couple weeks has really stepped up. He had the long. Uh, reception uh, on Thursday night football where he kind of really did a nice job of showing his contact balance and uh, one of the very few times they threw it. And then, um, you know, he had three catches for 76 yards on Sunday. So he, I mean, he continues to trend up, um, but Shai Smith is a guy that I see as trending down and trending down fast. And I mean, if you're going to, you just, you, I know we can run clean routes and that route he ran. And I'm not, again, a lot of it, people are going to look at Baker and, say terrible throw but if shy smith ran that route with pj or with sam darnold as a quarterback i mean the result would be the same uh, i mean i don't really care who what quarterback is back there it was a very poor route and i think he has to do better yeah it's getting to that time where you know and i look you've got some guys rotating in and out there and, and we know they're leaning on him because andre roberts the initial kick returner they signed to do all this was hurt but I mean, I'm looking at guys on the practice squad like Derek Wright, C.J. Saunders, and others. That, and and not to even mention that you know Marshall is emerging in his role right now. And Chenault, I mean, he's <laughs> yeah, Billy. We know what Chenault is. We've talked about it. They're using him as such, and that's fine. But it it really is time to to maybe peel back some of his snaps. And I I, I like Shy personally. He's a South Carolina guy, but production is just what it is. And you you keep putting the ball on the ground. That's terrible. Um, some of the routes aren't as crisp as they need to be. And look, I mean, you, you go to the bench if you don't produce, that's kind of where they're at. And, you know, Wilkes made no secret. I mean, he, and I, I get where he's coming from. Like there were a few guys, I don't know if Shy was one of them, but he, he, he went out of his way to kind of highlight some guys that need to do a little better and play up to their, their own standard. And I would put Shy in that category. And I, I don't even know if that's fair because Shy is a late round pick. He's not a guy that was supposed to come in and be, you know, the, the, <laughs> The, the full-time slot receiver. I wonder where Rashard Higgins is in all this. That that remains a mystery to me. That's someone you go out and acquire. He had chemistry with Mayfield. Seems like you'd want to activate them together, but maybe I'm over 
reading that one. I just, I saw them have a lot of success, but I think you're right about the pass protection too. Like you, you, Foreman can do better there. That's a little bit of what you miss in McCaffrey. And I, I think they still did the smart thing by going ahead and moving on from Christian, even though he's done well. So much of this is situational, Billy, not only with Carolina, like having this just revolving door of quarterback play where you can build no continuity. Yet you've got an offensive line that is together for once, and they're pretty good. They're not great. They're there. They're they're together. They're just not as great as I think people think they are. They're very good. But when your backs are missing blocks, that's not good. Tight ends at times. I saw, you know, a couple Ian Thomas whiffs in the game, in the run game, and that's what you're paying him for. So that's frustrating to me to see that play out the way it does. Um, and with Sam, you know, look, I think – you mentioned the the snap count thing with Mayfield. There, there's some draft pick conditional stuff in that contract that, that probably promotes this idea of, okay, look, we kind of reached the end of this Mayfield experiment. We don't want to give out too much compensation here. So let's put the plug on this one and let's just try to examine what Sam is at this point, because I think the only quarterback that'll probably be on this roster moving forward, maybe, maybe PJ, maybe, but the, Sam and Baker are not going to be back. I mean, I, I can't imagine. So you're at the point of the season where it's not tank season. No one's trying to tank, but the natural progression of things are starting to work out now where, Hey, let's Sam's turn. You know, we're three and eight right now. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers are running away with the division. It feels like not only that, but Atlanta is playing much better. New Orleans is hitting their stride and, and you're getting no better right now. So hats off to Wilkes. I appreciate the work he's doing. I think it's good stuff, but uh, they just don't have enough on offense, Billy. And, and look, shy was one of Matt's guys. And this is once again, you're going to see when they go through a regime change and they're going to go through this. Um, I, I just really doubt they're going to keep Steve. And once they, and even if they do, it's still going to be, you know, a shift in terms of personnel, you're going to really start to see whoever the next guy is. And I'm thinking it's going to be some of the, someone other than Wilkes just kind of take stock of what's going on here. Say, you know what, there's a few guys here that probably tested well, that you like, but it's time to get my guys in here. And, and that process will begin in short order after the season, I would imagine. So it's depressing to be sitting here again, Bill. I mean, we're sitting here one year later and we're talking about Sam Darnold, but I, when they went for Mayfield, I had some expectations that were a little higher than this. Um, but I can't say I'm totally surprised just based on the fact that I just don't think it's a good marriage between him and McAdoo. And it, it looked good at camp, but once we got into the regular season, we kind of saw, hey, <laughs> it takes a lot. It takes a lot to get a coordinator and a quarterback on the same page. And, and when you have a coaching change in the middle of that, it, it's hard to keep it all together. So we'll see what happens. Yeah. Um I just want to stick with the receivers real quick. Um, you saw the value of, well, depends if you want to use the word value or something else. <laughs> um, but Chenault, he had the long touchdown against the Falcons. And it just seems like they only use him on those you know, flat routes and three by one. Um, yep. It's like two guys are blocking for him and then he just goes upfield. And Baltimore was extremely prepared for that. Oh, yeah. And yep. I would imagine that... Denver for all the issues they have they are a they are an elite defense um so they're probably going to be prepared for that very much so any defense now I mean if you have I just I think you're being way too predictable with Chenault if you're just going to continue to use them like that I think what you should do uh, to break some tendencies is 
you know, maybe fake it, fake the, you know, you know pump fake the, you know, flat route to Chanel and have the receivers run upfield, fake that, you know, like a bluff block essentially and get them go- going upfield and, you know, try to break your tendency because it's becoming way too predictable. Chanel, four catchers for seven yards. I mean, that is something else. Uh, yeah. um, so yeah. Baltimore was, I mean, again, they're a very smart, uh, well-coached football team. They knew what was coming each time they had Chanel in the field and they targeted him. Um, and again, so yeah, Mayfield, he's not a good, a good enough quarterback to overcome uh, pass protection issues, schematic issues, uh, poor route running. Uh, he doesn't really have the ability to make things happen. And, uh, you know, that's kind of just the story of his career. I think he needs everything to be perfect around him. Um, we'll see what happens with Darnold. Yeah, it's the same thing with like, there's that conversation that Garoppolo is looking pretty competent right now, but, and I've heard people say, you know, well, they picked the wrong guy. I, I just don't think it would have really mattered. I, I think Jimmy's a fine quarterback, but again, this is a, this is a, larger issue right now in Carolina offensively, structurally, conceptually, what they're doing. You mentioned, you know, some of the predictable concepts there and what you put on the tape. I mean, once again, what like Mike McDaniel's doing in Miami with, with the sequencing, his play calling and, and just the variation. And, and you saw what Shanahan does. And these guys come from the same tree, but even what Andy Reid does, he's at an entirely different level. You got to have the quarterback, but the system helps too. And they're just, Mayfield worked very well in that sort of run-heavy, bombs-away type of mode. That's what they did in Cleveland. Where let's just you know run with power, and then we'll run some bombs off that. It just felt like old-school Dan Henning type of football, and that's not what McAdoo's asking him to do here. And I don't know, Chenault, I mean, we talked about him. He's, he's I don't want to say one-trick pony. That's an insult to an NFL player, but he really does not play the boundary X. But to that point, you got to do something else with him because defenses are <laughs> they're smart, Billy. I mean, John Harbaugh and the, the, the gang, they just sat in there, looked at the tape and said, well, this is what they ran against Atlanta. This is what they ran against New Orleans. So just be ready for it. And they gobbled it up. It was very predictable. Yeah, especially, you know, those cornerbacks and secondary guys, oh, yeah. Chuck Clark, Marcus Peters, yeah. Arlen Humphrey. They, I mean, they're really like physical, um, big corner, like guys in the secondary who, I mean, they're a pretty good tackling team. Uh, I know they've had some struggles, you know, here and there, but uh, even their their rookie safety Hamilton, I thought he stood out. Um, he had a really good game, and overall, I mean that defense is, uh, with the addition of Roquan Smith, probably one of the better oh, defenses in the league. Yeah. He he um, makes a huge difference, and you know, even the veterans they, they had. A, I mean, Clay he got these like almost 35, 40 year old guys like Campbell and JPP out there just making yeah, plays. And it's like, <laughs> okay, here we are, Baltimore once again. This is what they do, man. Um. Yeah, for sure. And it doesn't get easier this week because, like I said, Denver is, for all the issues that they have with their coaching and their offense, uh, their defense is spectacular. Yeah, they are. So this is not going to be an easy game. Um, <laughs> I mean, we'll see how Sam Darnold does. I don't think it's very, um, you know, again, we'll see how he does. I, I just, in my opinion, I don't think this is a game where uh, Darnold is going to play very well. Um, I will give you my thoughts on this game in a you know, after we kind of go over some other things first, but, uh, but yeah, so this is, uh, they still have some really challenging defenses to look ahead to. Um, All right. So defensively though, they have certainly turned a corner these past two weeks, um, especially, you know, the Thursday night game. Again, you can look at the weather as a factor. Uh, I think the Falcons offense, 
has been struggling a little bit uh, as well. I think Mariota, some of the good play that he's been producing has kind of waned down a little bit. I know they won last week, but you also have to factor in uh, they scored a special teams touchdown and the Bears defense is not very good. Um, but so I, with all due respect, I just don't take much away from what this defense did against the Falcons on Thursday night. But I do take a lot of stock in how they played on Sunday uh, against a Baltimore offense that, for the most part, was pretty healthy outside of you know, Rashad Bateman. Um, we already knew he was on the injured reserve, but uh, they had their offensive line was pretty healthy. I know uh, they suffered some injuries in the game, but going into the game, they were healthy. Mark Andrews played, uh, and he was certainly a difference maker. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, for me, you know, I thought this defense did a really good job of just limiting the explosive plays, but um, uh, it just took two explosive plays to really change the game. Uh, the first one was, you know, in that two-minute drill, Demarcus Robinson, you know, simple, like, a slant route. Yeah. CJ Henderson doesn't make a play, and he goes, like, an extra 20 yards, getting really good range for Tucker, and as good as Tucker is, you know, you you're, you don't, you never know how the wind in is going to affect you. Um, again, we saw in New England, Nick Folk is like one of the best kickers in NFL history under like 50 yards, and he missed two field goals. Um, so, again, with all due respect to Tucker, Hall of Famer, no doubt in my mind, um, you just made it very easy for him in those situations. And then, obviously, the other play I'm talking about is the uh, Kenyon Drake run right after the turnover uh, where they get inside the five-yard line. Um, I mean, the design was pretty good by Baltimore. They had Demarcus Robinson kind of, uh, you know, come inside uh, to block, seal the edge on one of the safeties. And uh, J.C. Horn took a few false steps, and that just opened up the entire backside for uh, Drake. Uh, and he did a really good job of finding it. And, you know, a few plays later, Lamar Jackson ran it in. Um, but overall, I have to say, I was very impressed with the run defense. And I was on a Baltimore podcast last week and I thought I just wasn't expecting much because John, like, and this was like the second time actually where I predicted that their run defense would struggle. I did it before week two because I thought Saquon would just run all over us and he didn't. And I did it this past week too. (laughs) Keep doing it. (laughs) Um, I mean, yeah, I don't know if Denver doesn't really have a run game. Uh, given all the entries, and I just released oh, Melvin. Watch, watch them this week. They'll they'll go for two hundred. <laughs> like, released Melvin Gordon. He's like Melvin's out. Uh, did you, you see that? His, you see I his saw... post on Instagram where he's got the OJ Simpson thing. What the yeah, hell that's is what that? I was going to say. He's like trolling their fan base. Oh my! Um, but um, but no, I mean, you talk was... about a, a shit. I mean, we'll get to Denver in a minute. But that, I mean, the expectations relative to what they were where they are now. I mean, it's an absolute disaster right now with that offensive production there. But no, I, I think defensively, look, I was I was also on a podcast with the Ravens. So while we, we missed last week, we did some podcasting into the Ravens side, and that was kind of fun. And um yeah, I kind I mean, of had you gotta you gotta give credit to a, a few of these Matt Rule guys, like Sam Franklin, your oh, yeah. Matos, yeah, um, yeah, Bravion Roy, these are Matt Rule guys. So like yeah. we can sit here and you know try to poke holes in Matt Rule and what he does here and there, like Wow. I think him and Phil did a pretty good job of assembling some good defensive talent. And they showed out, especially YGM, a guy who's been highly critical of. He had a sack, and he played really well against the run. Y- YGM has been playing the run very well lately. 
I mean, like he got the sack, but like I'll I'll tip my hat to him first of all. Like he has been setting the edge and penetrating and doing all the things you need to do with the edge position against the run. And those are some of the things I had concerns about with him coming into the year. He's gotten progressively better. Roy, look, that's a great play. I mean, you're sitting there, you're in the passing lane, you get your hands up, and you come down with a a pass from an MVP quarterback. I mean, that that'll do every day. And, you know, overall, I just think you're right. I mean, Franklin has been really good, not only in defense, but special teams. He had that big play against Atlanta. Um, like I said, I was on the Ravens pot, too, and, and we kept talking about formations. And, you know, we knew coming in that what they like to do is, you know, it's a Greg Roman playbook. It's going to be 12 personnel, some 13, some extra tackle, some XLXT stuff. And they kind of did what we thought they'd do. I, I thought you would see probably more production overall from like Isaiah Likely, they they did a pretty good job holding that in check. Now, Andrews got loose a little bit. He had six for 63, but that's still okay. Really, it was just Robinson. That was it. I mean, it was just – and I, I haven't really deciphered the entire defensive tape, but at first glance it looked like, you know, again, the, the absence of maybe Dante Jackson is – not that he's, you know, an all-pro, but he's he's better, I think, than CJ. I mean, you're missing him a little bit. And overall, I just think when you can hold Baltimore to 3.8 yards per carry, and not only that, but at halftime, I mean, they're coming in there at 2.8 yards a carry, 13 for 37. Granted, you only got 10 for 26 in that department, but that's good defense. Um, the linebackers played well. I thought Shaq had a good game. I thought Littleton, I know he's dinged up right now. Brandon Smith got some meaningful snaps, so that was valuable in terms of his development. Um, overall, I mean, I don't have too many complaints. It was nice to have Chin back. I think he brings you some physical presence there. Obviously, there was a coverage, I think, on, on Andrews where he got worked a little bit. But, you know, overall, I mean, you're looking at some pretty good production there. The tackles for losses were there. I mean, if I'm looking at this right, they had, uh, they had quite a few tackles for losses. They had 10 of them. So, I mean, that's that's pretty good stuff from, like, seven different guys. Burns is being Burns. I mean, he got a sack. There was a free release. There's – Obviously, give him credit for the sack, but I even saw Charles Johnson on Twitter sort of saying, hey, Burns has got to get that ball out. And, you know, I'm not going to pick on Brian here. Look, he's here. He's doing what he's been asked to do here. And I think Derek Brown, once again, had a pretty steady game, probably just right up there with some of the better defensive tackles in this league right now. So they're setting the tone, man, on defense in that front. Uh, secondary, I mean, you know, C.J. Henderson, as Steve Wilkes pointed out in his presser, he made it a point to say, hey, C.J.'s got to play better. He's too talented to to play that like that. So, I mean, it, it's frustrating, but this is what they have. Um, I, you got the sense you get into that game and you're 3-3. And I think at that point, it was a, maybe it was a 6-3 to when, when Baker's putting that drive together and he – there's the DJ Moore drop and then they hit Marshall on the, you know, sort of the seam route there. It was a little bit of a, a just a, a go route. I actually just kind of bent it back inside. And that was a nice pass, but you could tell the wind was an issue. And I just got the sense and when they settled for a field goal there, Marshall had an opportunity, you know, obviously in the end zone, I know we're talking defense here, but it correlates. I mean, you settle for a field goal there and it's like, okay, that, <laughs> you just get the sense that at some point something's going to happen. And this team is much better than your team. And typically something's going to break in the good team's way and they're at home and they've got the momentum. And then lo and behold, you, you start to see the turnovers and Shai's fighting for yardage and I get it, but he puts the ball on the ground and it's just too much to ask. One thing about this Carolina defense that I think maybe we've talked about and I'll bring it up again is like, they've been 
pretty damn good in short, quick change, turnaround type situations. Like when the offense turns the ball over, they've had to come back out on short fields or, you know, non-rest situations. And they, they do a pretty good job lately, at least, of getting some stops. So credit Dow Holcomb, credit the Wilkes. And I'll, I'll ask you this. Do you, like the secondary hasn't been bad, but do you think with Wilkes moving away from that position – and they obviously let go of Evan Cooper. Like, has that been a detriment, you think, to C.J. Henderson at all and his development? Um, I wouldn't say so. I think, you know, he's been sort of this inconsistent player ever since he's been here. Yeah. I don't necessarily see, you know, I don't necessarily, I've never seen him, uh, you know, have a consistent string of games from week to week. Right. Even, you know, before week five, which is when, Matt Rule was still the head coach. Yeah. Um, yeah. Obviously, he had, in my opinion, one of his better games against the Falcons in Atlanta. Though that was his good, one of his best games. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I haven't. I think he's still uh, in some ways like a roller coaster of a player. He's gonna have. Um, he just right now there's just no consistency to his performance. I think we we talked about it at the time too. Like, don't expect too much. Like, I think fans were kind of. They saw the name. They saw that he was a high round draft pick, and you really want, I think, to bring this up on the podcast. And, and it, it, you know, I, it, it alerted me to it, kind of looking at the film on his Jacksonville stuff. That you know, hey, just understand this is a project, and it may work out, it may not, but you know, it's not the end of the world if it doesn't. And so far, it's it's to be determined. I think it's kind of up and down right now, but at least you're getting some of your young guys in there, like Brandon Smith, Barno. That's interesting. I mean, he had a tackle for loss. He's playing Gunner out there. That's kind of unique. He's got a unique skill set, and I'm, I'm glad that they're starting to work younger guys into the lineup here. Um, it's it's time to start doing that, and that's really of all the things. That was a frustrating thing about this time last year. You knew they kind of weren't going anywhere, but yet they were still refusing to push forward with some of the younger guys, Marshall and uh, obviously Bray Christensen, and then they started getting him more involved. But I'm, I'm happy to see they've – They've at least up front on both sides, they've kind of got a core going here, it looks like, at least something you can work with, a, a bit of a foundation. Once they get Ioannidis back, that's the guy I'd like to keep around. Um, McCall's been a nice surprise. So on offense and defense in the fronts, they've got good depth, I think, and, and they can build from that and, and just build from the inside out moving forward. So that's, I guess, a positive. But no, defensively, I, I you know, you hold Baltimore to 13, no matter what the conditions are. Um, third downs could be better. But obviously, still, that's that's pretty good stuff right there. There, I think they're one of four in the red zone, so that's that's certainly good defense. Yeah, um, yeah, I agree. Uh, you know, I thought overall they have the personnel to kind of match with the mobile quarterback like Lamar Jackson. Um, you know, they have the experience, obviously, with Mariota. Not not the same type of runner, but still a guy who's. Uh, does a pretty good job of uh, getting out in the open field, so I wasn't necessarily too shocked to see them limit Jackson uh, for only 11 carries and 31 yards. Um, but yeah, as we look forward here, uh, you know the um, yeah, I don't want to kind of focus on. Uh, well, there's just one thing before we look forward. I do. I see some people are getting a little bit too um, uptight about some comments made by Matt Rule. Uh, I did actually watch the segment i was watching it this morning while i had the world cup on too uh and i actually rewinded and i went back because i saw the post from joe person and something about you know covid and not being able to make relationships stuff like that 
I didn't actually have a problem with what he said um, because I think the context of what was tweeted was not indicative of what kind of what he was trying to say. So like I have everything he said. Um, If you give me a second, I'll read it for you verbatim. I can't wait. Nothing lost in translation. Um, (laughs) And and I think what he said made a lot of sense. I just want to be clear. I'm not defending him. So he said, if I could go back, I wish I could have done a better job in year one and year two of having really strong relationships with the players. I can blame COVID masks and all those things. But at the end of last year, I got together with Shaq Thompson, McCaffrey. I just went back to being just you know, coach Matt. The guy was coaching at Temple. The guy was running around with the t-shirt and shorts, having fun with it. I didn't end it the way I wanted, but I'm probably never lost the locker room, and for that I'm proud, essentially is what he said. So essentially what he was saying is that he wasn't blaming COVID. He said he could have, but he didn't do a good job of building those relationships, and he felt that, in his opinion, if he would have kind of had better relationships in year one, then he probably, you know, things could have changed for him. Um, that's just his opinion, by the way. But I think it got lost in translation that he was blaming COVID and masks for why yeah. it didn't work out, which I don't think he was saying at all. I don't think, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I we know Joe pretty well, too. I think Joe knows that as well. So I, just to point that out. But I think, you know, hey, look, Matt's gone. And you know, he got paid well to coach here, and he's still getting paid well. And he'll be paid well, whether it's Arizona State or Nebraska or Auburn or <laughs> well, Lane Kiffin depends on what he tweets out next, but you know, Matt, Matt will be fine. I think one thing I've learned from covering this team is, you know, you could sit there all day and and be mad about Matt Rule, and you could say things like, "Oh, I ruined my franchise, you set my franchise back." But here's the thing: Matt Rule didn't pull into his own driveway and offer him forty million dollars or whatever it was. He didn't. <laughs> Matt Rule didn't decide to make this move. This was on the franchise. This was on ownership. And, you know, I'm not saying go out and have, you know, words with David Tepper. This is his team. He can do what he wants to. But if you're going to take issue with any with anybody here, it's like it's exhausting. Like we get it. Matt Rule did not did not translate well to the pros. That was pretty predictable. I had doubts about that. So did you. I think we were pretty open minded in the beginning. We tried to look at this as a process. And yeah, maybe if he'd had four years or five years, it would have eventually turned into a competitive team. But it, you know, in this day and age in the NFL, you see what happens around the league um, and it shouldn't take quite that long. And, and there's another side to this we need to keep examining. And I hate to do it because I like the guy and I like a lot of his guys he works with. But how does this front office move forward? Will they move forward? Um, and I think that's going to be an interesting dynamic to see. Once they move into another direction, um, will they keep the guys that are there intact? I think part of the fascinating thing is they've invested so much time and energy and resources into this new scouting model. And, you know, but as we know, David Tepper has money to spend and he's clearly not afraid to spend it. Now, will he go? I I mean this with all due respect to Wilkes, but I look viewing this from the owner's lens. Will he try to go totally opposite end to go cheap? and try to maintain the interim coach and get him on a very low ball deal. Um, he's a hard owner to read. He's a hard owner to read. I'll just say that. And I think with Matt, look, clearly he was bothered by the fact he didn't get to finish this thing out. I understand it. He also pointed this out too. 
And, you know, the 33rd team put out a really interesting piece. I think Vic Carucci was the one who kind of narrated it in Matt's own words. And he did talk about COVID again and the challenges. And he talked about, you know, having to tell his daughter that, yeah, daddy was fired. And those things suck. But he also said, to be fair, and some people pointed out, well, quit talking about, you know, how hard this is on you. He talked about the fact that he's had to fire assistants too. And that sucks on that end. And then he's been a part of both ends of it. So we get caught up in this vortex of, you know, and I'm, I'm certainly guilty of it, I'm sure, in the past. But, like, the past year or so, I've really made an effort to kind of, like, okay, let's really examine what Matt Rule's all about, who he is, can he make it in this level, and let's examine it from the business end of things. And it just wasn't good enough. And he acknowledged that. And he's just trying to get his name out there. I mean, this is what you do. This is what high-profile guys from college – Urban Meyer did it. Now you see Sean Payton from the pros doing it. They get out there, they work the media. And, you know, Forio wrote a piece today about, you know, maybe this is a signal that Matt wasn't getting the, the offers or the calls he was wanting to. And now he's got to, you know, hustle and do the media tour. I, I'd like to be a little less cynical than that and just say, hey, it's. Yeah, that's. Forio's being ridiculous. I think it's ridiculous. I think, you know, Matt just needed some time off. And, you know, when he tweeted the one of us thing, people went nuts on that. And I just, I retweeted out and I said, look, if you know anything about, the Gamecocks, which I do because it's one of the teams I cover down here. He and Satterfield are tight, and that's the OC. So that's what that was about. And let the guy tweet. I mean, Jesus Christ. <laughs> we, 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 it's Matt Rule fatigue now. Let the guy live his life. He's moved on. He's not your issue anymore, Panthers fans. Um, and it's time to focus in on what the issues are now. This team is 3-8. and eight. They have no quarterback for the future. They have nothing. Um, and they've got a lot of work to do. And this owner and in this front office, it's on them now. So time to time to get it done. Time to put Matt Rule in rear view. But I'm glad you brought it up. It needed some context. It was very, very smart on your part to do that. Yeah. Um a few of his other coaches, his former coaches, Joey McGuire, who's now the head coach of Texas Tech. Um, he also re- retweeted Matt. So that just confirmed to me that you know Matt was uh, excited for his guy Satterfield. Yes. Down oh, it is. They, they scored 63 points against Tennessee. Give the guy a yeah, data the number song. five team in the country. Yes, that was a Spencer Radler looking like a number one pick again. Yeah, for sure. And uh, yeah, it's just again, and, and I, I the yeah, the Florio thing just annoys me. That's just ridiculous. I don't think you know, let the co- he's a head former head coach. Um, you know, people want to hear from him. It just it is what it is. I remember when Jeff Fisher got fired, um, from the Rams, the first thing he did that next Sunday was do a you know, an interview with, well, I forget whether it's Aaron Andrews or one of the other uh, personalities about what he wants to do in the future. So I personally, you know, we as fans, it's good to hear the perspective from, uh, you know, the coach who was just fired and gives us more of an opportunity to hear from. Him. I didn't, I don't think he, you know, I listened to the entire you know segment uh, and uh, yeah, there's nothing he said there that really kind of irked me. I mean, he said that, I mean, I think the guys asked fair questions, whether it was McCordy or um, the Garofalo, they asked perfectly fair questions. They didn't say why, uh, you know, they didn't oh. kind of try to put the blame on him. They just said, why don't you think it worked on? He gave a perfectly fine answer that he yeah. feels that relationships, um, which I, and you agreed that that's very important in the NFL is to have build on relationships. He felt that, um, you know, the relationships weren't strong enough in year one and two. And then he also said that, you know, the NFL is not like college football where you have to, um, you know, show progress winning football games. Uh, they also asked him about Jeff's Saturday and that entire thing and <laughs> kind of uh, 
he just said, you know, I think Frank Reich and Brian Flores are hell of coaches and they should get head coaching jobs again. Yeah. Um, and, <laughs> yeah. So he, he just kind of went that route, but hey, you know, I did think my final thing, you mentioned losing the locker room and, and, you know, I, I've talked to somebody who is with that organization and knows it. I mean, and you've seen this reporting come out from our friends like Ellis Williams, but I, I, I had a vibe and a sense all along that the locker room was never the issue. They liked the guy, they played hard for the guy. It just wasn't structurally good enough. And part of that's his evaluations. Part of that is his schematics. Part of that is his ability to have a strategic edge. And he talked about it. He's a relational coach. I think that's a great way to put it. Uh, he, he should have said that from the beginning. Like, he's not, he's, he's not an offensive coach, defensive coach. He's not a really an NFL coach. He's a relational coach. He's a sales guy. And that's part of what makes these college coaches very effective is that they, they build programs. They can do it at their own pace. And it's his comfort zone. And he talked about comfort zone when he went out of it to hire Joe Brady and his comfort zone is very important to him. So I think, Hey, hats off. He, he did what he had to do. He got offered the deal. Nobody put a gun to David Tepper's head and said, you've got to sign this guy to a seven year contract. That's on the owner. And that's on the people that advise the owner. That's not on Matt rule. Matt rules offered a job. He was also in the running for the giants jobs. So it's not like, you know, we're the only ones out there bidding for his services. Um, it was a risky move. It rarely works, and it didn't work again. So learn from it, move on. I would say all parties involved should do that. And I don't mind hearing from Matt Rule right now because he's not Carolina's issue at this point. He's just a guy out there doing analysis. Yeah, for sure. And you know what? Hey, if he doesn't get a job, I think he looked pretty um, natural on television. I saw the yeah. clips of what he did with Adam Shine, kind of breaking down the Cowboys offense and the he's 49ers good. offense. No, he's, I, I tell you, somebody who does a little bit of that, it, yeah. it's not easy. And he just comes right in and does it. So, yeah, he's, he's good at that, man. He can chop it up. Yeah, for sure. Well, maybe get him on the podcast. We should <laughs> we can do that. Yeah, no. I mean, a guy I kind of compared him to that then well was also, uh, he's actually a former call. I think Dan Mullen. Um, yeah, you know, and things didn't end well for him in Gainesville, and he's doing pretty fine and uh, working for ESPN and college football. But yeah, uh, yeah. So as we look forward, I, I I will say this: I believe that they will win on Sunday. I have actually very oh. strong feeling that they will win on Sunday. Um, I don't think Denver is very good. I think they have just there's just way too much, um, you know, toxic energy around their entire organization right now. Uh, I mean, they gave up three first round picks. Uh, you know, they gave out all this money to Russell Wilson um, you know, Nathaniel Hackett was supposed to come in here and implement a lot of the, you know, LaFleur slash McVay offense uh, doesn't hasn't worked out. One thing I will say, though, um, to Hackett's credit is that he brought on Elijah Evero, who is a defensive coordinator for the Broncos, and he has done a tremendous job. Outstanding uh, job. I think they I, were, I thought there'd be a dip with Fangio leaving, but it, it's actually been as good, if not better. No, he's he's been an impressive guy. Yeah, um, I think Hackett and Evro were roommates back at San Jose State, um, or they were kind of they played together, so they have a long-standing relationship. I think Evro was on Harbaugh's staff in Frisco too, if I'm not mistaken. He spent some time there with Fangio, so I think there's some crossover there. It was not yeah. Me. So, I mean, yeah. that's a great hire. I mean, the guy's coaching his ass off. For sure. And then, obviously, he's worked under, um, you know, Wade Phillips and Brandon Staley and Raheem Morris. So, he's uh, you know, kind of versatile enough. Uh, but, yeah, it's a similar type, you know, type Fangio defense. And, uh, you know, this defense has caused 
given a lot of quarterbacks issues up until last week. I know Derek Carr, um, you know, he was kind of struggling until that, those final two drives where he kind of put it all together and got them in field goal range uh, to kick a field goal. And then they won at the end at a yep. you know, talented receiver like Devonte Adams. Um, so yeah, I think that Carolina's offense is going to have a struggle. Um, but I think that because Denver is so anemic offensively that this is a good opportunity for Carolina to get a few turnovers. Um, so I do think they will win. Um, but, you know, setting that aside, I just feel like this is just going to be playing out this string at this point. I don't really see. Um, yeah, I'm not going to say I just want to see kind of where this goes, because I don't know, like it, it would be different if we had like a rookie quarterback, you know, in the building right now. And you can kind of still get excited about some things. But to me, I'm struggling a little bit to, you know, look for sources of optimism as we kind of close out the final seven games here. It's, uh, I mean, it's going to be a struggle regardless. Um, But for me, I just, I'm not sure. Like, what are you looking forward to as we kind of close out the year, given, you know, Carolina's currently, you know, three and eight, picking number two overall. Uh, Tampa's finally get, gaining momentum. You know, Atlanta's, you know, still in the thick of things. Uh, I don't think the Saints are. I know they won last week, but I don't necessarily see them uh, playing better overall. But it just seems like Tampa's going to kind of walk away with the division at, as things stand right now. They, Carolina can't make the playoffs. I mean, they, they don't have the quarterback right now. The, the difference is, and I try to to be as optimistic as I can be until I reach my threshold of optimism and have to – cross into the world of realism. And that's kind of where we are now in the realistic territory of understanding, okay, you know what, a similar type of situation back in 14 with the division, but there was no Tom Brady in that division at the time, no Todd Bowles, no very good defense for Tampa still, although Carolina did a pretty good job a few weeks ago. I mean, they're getting better. There was no Godwin. There was no Evans, both playing at a high level together. And so Tampa, I think, is going to find their footing in this division and, and probably – push nine to 10 wins. Now, even if they didn't back in 14, you, you knew you had Newton, you knew you had Ryan Khalil, you knew you had Greg Olson. You, <laughs> you could stem that tide. And, and they were three, eight and one at that time. And you remember the division was so bad. They were able to go on a four game tear. One of which was without cam. Cause he had the whole truck thing and he broke a bone in his back, I think. And, you know, came back against Cleveland, they ran the table and it was a very thrilling type of December, even though, yeah, overall, what a great team. They took advantage of a bad division. That's kind of what I was trying to look at. And Wilkes even talked about it. He was here in the building. And look, shit, if they run the table and they went out, I mean, it's not a hard schedule, but, you know, credit to them. They're getting it done at home. They're winning in the division again. What am I looking for? I mean, I'm looking for just continued development from Aquanu. I want to just be proven that Corbett and Christensen can continue to hold up at left and right guard. I thought Corbett struggled a little bit last week, but overall he's been a pretty good acquisition. Let's evaluate Bozeman, continue to find out if we want to, you know, keep him around long-term. I think he's been a pretty good center. I, you know, I was talking to a guy that covers the Ravens, and, and there were a lot of Ravens fans who were upset that he got away from them. And obviously they got Linderbaum, and they got the guy they wanted there. But, um, you know, I guess just looking at guys that you know are going to be here in the future, Moore, Burns, Brown, Luvu, Chen on defense, Horn, especially Horn. Just keep making plays. Keep, I want to see the defense just ball out and continue to do what they've been doing. Just you know, no tolerance. Just 
stop getting gashed in the run game, which they've done a pretty good job lately of doing. Let's get some more turnovers. Let's see some turnovers from the second and third level. Let's see Shaq Thompson catch one and take it to the house, things like that. But but you're right. I mean, it's kind of hard because, you know, the, the only quarterback they have in the building right now that's a rookie is Matt Corral. But we've talked about the the hit rate on where he was drafted, and it's not great. And when you miss this much time, he didn't look great in camp to begin with, didn't get a lot of reps to begin with. And and McAdoo was, I think, one of the big, you know, buyers in on on that draft pick. He was he sold the camp confidential show or the draft confidential show, and he was praising some of his, you know, acumen there. And Matt obviously had some input on that. And so can you bank on Matt Corral? No, you can't. Does that mean he can't come in next year and compete? No, he'll be here. You know, they invested a third rounder in him. So he's gonna come in and compete. But you can't force fit a tank. I mean, that's not, I'm not going to tell people how to fan, but get, get yourself bent out of shape if the team happens to win a couple of these games. It's just, it's futility. It's a, it, 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 to me, it is. I mean, if people want to get it bent out of shape if they win a couple of games that are, quote, meaningless, I get it because it would be nice to sit there in that second position right now. But if you look at that tankathon list, the margins are very tight. So let's <laughs> just say, you're second overall right now, but don't be surprised if they move to eight or nine. I mean, this is kind of where they're at right now with their team. They have a very good defense. Um, from For the most part, there's still some things they could work on. Their offensive line is solid. They're together. They're continuity. Um, and the skill players are just kind of, you know, you got DJ and everybody else. So, but you have no quarterback. You, obviously, you got Darnold back in the mix for another round here. Maybe a spark happens. Who knows? But I just I want to see this defense. I, I'm really focusing on the defense more than anything right now on the offensive line. Those are the areas I want to see continue to grow because I think for the most part that's your core right now. And then you you've got to just find your damn quarterback. Yeah, for sure. And you know Steve Wilkes, uh, you know they are undefeated at home under him, but yep. uh, you know Carolina has not beaten a non NFC South team yet. Um, yeah, that's... all year. Uh, so. Which is yeah, it's interesting because they've been struggling so bad in the division lately. They finally knock on that door a little bit. Not granted, the division's kind of down this year, but they're still contributing to that with the wins. Um, yeah, I mean, it for Steve, you know, it's maybe I don't know how serious the evaluation on him is right now. I, I, and this is not a knock on Steve once again. It's more of the, I I kind of know enough about this owner. I think you do too to know that he kind of swings big and. I'm not saying Steve Wilkes would be a bad hire. I'm just saying I, I think you got to understand reality here. I, I, he'll probably get re-interviewed. They'll interview a variety of candidates. Um, but I have a sense that they'll probably lean in a bigger, different direction. Now, Sean Payton, I still don't really think that's an option. I don't think he's going to come here. Um, but stranger things have happened. We'll see. But, no, I just, for the guys that are here, just keep playing hard because these – these are all dudes that are trying to put their tape out and they're making a living. And, and I know everybody wants to lock in that second pick overall right now. Um, it, it's fun to win though. It's, it's an, it's a narcotic. It's fun to win for some people, I guess for others. It's like, shit, <laughs> we're one step away from getting Bryce Young or Stroud or even Levis who continues to get high marks or whoever <laughs> it might be. Um, I just get back to thinking, you know, uh, Caleb Williams looks good. He ain't coming out yet, but shit, God, I wish he was, he is, He's some quite of uh, talent he is, but we'll see. It's an inexact science to draft as is free agency. So just keep playing hard. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, just looking at their schedule, the three uh, remaining home games are probably all three winnable um, given 
the Broncos this week and then Pittsburgh the f- a couple weeks and then uh, you have the Detroit Lions. So I think they're winnable games, those three, but uh, on the road going to Seattle and then going to Tampa and uh, at New Orleans, um, those are probably three tougher games. Uh, but, you know, anything can happen in the NFL and they have competed pretty hard. I, um, you know, kind of where I stand with Steve Wilkes, I, I mean, with all due respect, I'm not sure um, that Wilkes can attract a quality offensive coordinator to make up for you know, some of the issues they have on that side of the ball. Yeah. I'm not really sure, like, like who would he target? Some people say Pep Hamilton. I, with all due respect to Pep Hamilton, I was, I think he's been arguably worse than Ben McAdoo. Hey, I've, they're terrible. They're terrible right I, now. I talked to, you know, Rivers McCown, and mm-hmm. he's a good friend of both of ours. And yep. um, you, you watch, you know, what the Texans are doing. It's, I think Pep Hamilton is a quality quarterbacks coach. And maybe he can be a quality head coach just because he has some probably leadership. But if you go back and study Pep's time as an offensive coordinator with the Colts under Andrew Luck or at Michigan under Jim Harbaugh or this year with the uh, Texans, it's not pretty. Uh, Yeah, he's done some good things as a QB coach last year with Davis Mills. Kind of had him playing above his expectation. And, you know, the year before that with uh, Justin Herbert in Los Angeles. Um, so, I mean, he definitely deserves, he's like an NFL coach from, you know, just a QB side, but I just don't see him, um, you know, as a quality offensive uh, coordinator and play designer. So, and that's just kind of like, and I'm not here to you know pick on Pep Hamilton. I'm just trying to say like, if Wilkes were to, you know, get the job, I just, I don't feel comfortable enough with it because I'm not sure like what type of OC he could attract when he was in yeah. uh, Arizona. Yeah, I- he hired Mike McCoy and you know, that tenure only lasted like, you know, a month and a half. He fired him and promoted Byron Leftwich, who was already on staff. Um, you know, Leftwich was a carryover from the Arians regime. Uh, so it's not like, you know, he was forced to go outside the box there. And so, you know, overall, I was going to say there's a, with Pep. Yeah. I mean, that he's, he's been good and bad and off and on. And the same could be said about a lot of guys out there, but I don't even know who the right guy is at this point. I think number, number one for an organization that is, and I'm not saying you got to hire one side of the ball, the other, but they've hired with the exception of Matt rule, who was just a relational coach, as he said, they, they've hired all defense. I mean, it's been capers, Seifert, John Fox and Ron Rivera, and, and some of those worked out quite nicely. Some of those not so much, and that's fine. Um, each of those guys, other than Seifer, took them either to a Super Bowl or one game from it. So, I mean, that's that's all right. You can do that. You can live with that. But, um, you know, maybe it's time to, to start thinking about an offensive head coach. And I'm not saying you have to do that, but, but maybe it's time because the one thing that I, I've heard from people around the league, and I think you might agree with this or not, but, like – what, the one thing that will happen if you hire somebody and you've got a very good offensive coordinator, they're going to come for that guy in a year or two or three, and then you're going to be it's like Rob Chesinski, and you have to reset the whole thing all over again. And not that Shula was a disaster. I think people overrate that as a disaster, but they had to reset the bar there. Worked out okay. Um, you know, I think that's something you want to look into maybe. Um, yeah, with, with Will, it's a good point. I mean, like, you, you've got you to be thinking about getting to a point where – the NFC right now is sort of a mess, like the whole conference. You've got a few teams that kind of have it figured out. 
but like the Packers are, are obviously in some sort of decline here. And a lot of it has to do with the play of their quarterback. And I don't think the coaches without blame either. And the front office too. Um, you look at what's going on in Arizona. That's a disaster. I mean, they, they extended the GM who has no business being extended. They've got a head coach who, you know, Cliff is, look, I don't really, I think you've even said this too. Cliff is fine, but you know, maybe a little premature on the extension. And then we'll see what happens with Kyler, but he got paid huge money and the production's been, you know, marginal. Um, he's been hurt and that's not his fault, but things have happened. So the Rams, once again, they went all in and now they're kind of experiencing the growing pains of having to, you know, replenish now because they're going to be short on picks and they would have been shorter had Carolina followed through on a trade, but can't go back. Um, so in the NFC South, as we mentioned, Tom's not getting younger. He's starting to look the part, and I'm not ruling them out for a championship run here, but that's not going to last forever. New Orleans, up and down. They still don't have a true quarterback, although Dalton looked better. Atlanta, you know, they're as good as their run game will carry them, although Arthur Smith, I think, has done more than most people thought. And there's Carolina. So it's real critical to get this one right, get the quarterback right, get the coach to go with him. Um, if it's Wilkes, make damn sure you've got the structure in place to move forward and keep this thing moving in the right direction offensively. Otherwise – you know, what we're seeing offensively right now under Steve Wilkes is is not too different than what we saw under Matt Rule. The defense has been fine. I think his leadership has been good. I think he's been messaging things properly. But um, I think with the resources that David Tepper has at his disposal, there's no reason to aim high and try to find the best candidate you can find for this thing long term. And if that means going out and trying to make a pitch for Sean Payton or trying to make a pitch for Jim Harbaugh or whatever it might be, so the pie in the sky type of opportunities – Go do what you got to do. Otherwise, look at Shane Steichen, look at Shane Waldron, look at the Miko Ryans, uh, a number of candidates out there we've talked about that could be really good, maybe infusion type of fits for this franchise. They need sort of a change of direction here. And I wouldn't mind Wilkes being around. I know it's not a solace to him to say, hey, you're not going to get the gig, but be a defensive coordinator, be a DB coach. I'm sure he's wanting to keep this job full time and I'm pulling for him, but He's got to show the results just like Matt did. So just keep winning and then he might end up getting it. But if he doesn't, it's an interesting, it's, it's, it's going to be fun to kind of see how it plays out. I'll say that I'm, I'm looking forward to finally seeing that change because this time last year, we were kind of in that purgatory knowing, all right, you know, it's very unlikely they're going to make a change at some point with Matt rule. I thought we kind of had a sense they might, and then we got where they weren't. And then it was like, okay, we're going to go find a rock star OC. And that turned out to be Ben McAdoo. And, uh, and here we are. So, yeah, just looking forward to seeing what the change brings here. Yeah, a thousand percent. Um, yeah, that's going to be it for you know the show tonight. Um, you know, want to wish everyone just safe holidays for traveling. Um, we'll be back next week uh, for a recap of the Denver game and try to keep you guys posted on any type of news uh, that comes out. Uh, but yeah, we'll do a post. Uh, recap of denver and uh yeah we'll look forward to uh talking to you guys next time but uh john any final words no happy thanksgiving everybody hang in there as always um better days are ahead i'm certain it's a hard time right now with no quarterback and the offense is sputtering but uh they're playing hard they're fighting hard and um hey go panthers let's see if they can get one this sunday against denver all right everyone take care and we'll talk to you next time